Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Anne Donahoe and Lewis Goldberg of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis industry forward. This week, Lewis and Ann are speaking with Troy Dayton, Chief Strategy Officer and co-founder of the ArcView Group. If you're not familiar with the ArcView Group, they're the largest collection of high net worth investors who focus on putting money into early stage cannabis companies. Troy, along with Steve D'Angelo of Harborside fame, started ArcView back in 2010. And ever since, many major American cannabis companies have presented to their members and raised capital from the group. Troy's story is an important one for the cannabis industry. A quick disclosure here, I've personally known Troy for more than 20 years now, as he was one of the first people in drug policy reform that I met in the late 1990s, and one of the people who helped me start Students for Sensible Drug Policy. So don't sit back, lean forward. Now on to our conversation with Troy Dayton of the ArcView Group. Good morning, Anne. Good morning. We don't normally record these shows in the morning since you're in LA and I'm in New York and, you know, it may be 10 o'clock for me, but it's seven o'clock for you. So are you still in your pajamas? No, I'm at the office. Look at that. This is what one of the many, many reasons why I love you. You are the best. I'm a dedicated employee. Yeah, committed. Should be. <laughs> that too. Yes. Um, it's 2020, we're recording this on January 22nd, which a couple of weeks before the ArcView conference in Santa Monica and ArcView is a new client of ours and we're going to be having Troy Dayton, the co-founder and, and chief strategy officer on this episode. Troy is awesome. Troy is awesome. And, and you know, we're going to talk to him about his background, which isn't just the, the finance side of the business. I mean, he comes out of ad, advocacy. And one of the cool things about Troy, and look at that, here he is, Troy Dayton walking in. Good morning. <laughs> um, you know, one of the coolest things about Troy, you know, is that he, he can talk to both the history of the movement and the history of the industry. Um, and it's, you know, and on top He's of... He's a unicorn. He is a unicorn. Um, Troy, this is Zan Donahoe. Hi, how are you? Hey. Um, so we were just doing our banter before we start, sure. but fuck it. Let's just jump right in, right. man. Um, you've got your coffee. Yeah. You've got, you don't have a bagel. <laughs> so, you know, even though we're here in New York and you're a Jersey boy. Yeah. And by the way, one of the things I've noticed about this industry, a lot of Jersey people in it, right? I don't think I knew Troy was from New Jersey. Yeah, he's yeah. Hillsborough, New Jersey. Where? Hillsborough, Central, there, Somerville, Princeton, Bridgewater. Oh, interesting. Now his mic is hot. Now your mic is hot, Troy. All right. Excited. So yes, so Jersey Jersey people tend to you know have an outsized role in this industry, and New Yorkers, even though California has been the locus in Colorado and and, and Oregon, there's a lot of us out it's like there. A clown car. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so many that people is so coming true out of for it. New Jersey. <laughs> yes, I am still struggling with a cold. Um, so, 
you know, many of our listeners are familiar with ArcView, but probably many are not. Why don't you take a moment um, and just tell us, what is ArcView? What do you guys do? Yeah, so since 2010, we've been gathering investors and entrepreneurs in the cannabis sector. So far, we've helped over 1,500 uh, high net worth investors and venture funds uh, place over a quarter of of a billion dollars into over 200 companies, most of which are, you know, a lot of the companies you probably recognize and know, and people you've had on your on your show, or our clients, and many of your clients, exactly. And so, um, that's what, the main thing we've been. Can doing. you name some names? Oh, sure. Forefront, MedMen, um, uh, Tokyo Smoke, which uh, got acquired by uh, Canopy Growth, um, Ebu, uh, which got acquired by Canopy Growth. Um, uh, God wide bless range. Canopy Growth. Wide, Spark, Harborside, um, you know, Ease. You know, we're hearing a lot about Ease. Well, Ease presented to our investors uh, in 2015 at a $5 million valuation. Right? And now it's valued somewhere north 300, of... 300, 400, yeah. Oof. I mean, I... they're going through some challenges right now, but it's important to remember <laughs> that, like, you know... Um, you know, this is, uh, it's really been a fun ride to be able to see a lot of these companies. I mean, MedMen um, presented on our stage to our investors at a $30 million valuation, right? Even though MedMen's going through a lot of challenges, they're still worth more than $30 million. <laughs> they're worth a lot more than $30 million. So if, if you had gotten in, so if you're, how does one become a member of ArcView? Mm -hmm. So uh, if you're an a, a accredited investor, meaning that you you know have at least a million dollars in net assets or you've made at least $200,000 a year for the last two years, um, then you can become an ArcView member or if you're a venture fund or you're representing somebody else's money. Um, it's $3,500 is the initiation fee and then it's $300 a year after that. Um, and and you guys, it's a it's very unique kind of community of people that help each other. It's not just about finding new deals. Um, it's about having a peer network of people who can help you uh, look at deals and make sure you understand the deals and have experts you can call on. Because as we're starting to now see in the sector, you know, the, the difference between, you know, a company that's really successful and one that goes down the tubes and runs out of money and, you know, disappears is a very thin line, right? And so understanding the nuances of their strategy, of the people that are there, can be the difference between you know having a 40x and losing all your money. You had started the uh, ArcView with Steve D'Angelo, who we had the pleasure of interviewing at uh, MJ Biz a couple of weeks ago. Um, and last year, ArcView, ArcView took an A round uh, of investment from from Entourage of Effect Capital and Ampology. Um, mm -hmm. What does that mean for yeah. for you and your members? Well. You know, what's, what's great about it is a wide range of our members actually participated in that in that round as well. So I think we have a, over 30 or 40 of our members uh, that are invested in that round as well. So it's really a family. And, and, and both Ampology and Entourage Effect were longtime ArcView members before they kind of led this round. And so they really understood sort of the special sauce and the unique nature of the community that we've built. And so... Now, with additional capital and additional talent resources, 
we're really able to create a much better experience um, with you know even better companies, even more support, and a wide range of sort of um, other services that we're better able to- Better PR. Yeah, better <laughs> PR, right? We've got KCSA on the job. Uh, so- um, so yeah, we're so we're and we're adding a lot of different ways for investors to be involved, not just the way we've been doing it, which is with investors and and we bring them companies that they can look at, but also um, you know we just launched a member managed fund um, where people can actually put capital to use with a group of people together and make decisions about their money together uh, in in. In How does that investment committee work, right? So, like yeah. for Entourage, for example, you know they have, you know, five, six, seven GPs, and that mm -hmm. tends to be the investment committee. Mm -hmm. There are hundreds of ArcView members. So, how do for your fund? How does the investment committee work? Yeah, well, for this fund, we're also going to do more of a traditional venture fund as well. But but for the member managed fund, it's really neat. It's seventy five thousand dollars for a unit, uh, and you um, uh, become part of the GP. Everybody becomes part of the GP. So if you participate in a lot of the meetings, if you join the due diligence committees, if you bring a deal, there's a whole bunch of different ways that you can um, earn carry, uh, carried interest. So you get to participate as uh, the, the profit interest at like, a, like a regular venture fund would in the, in the general partnership. Um, and... And so, and, and that's kind of how it works. And then the whole membership votes on every, uh, on every deal, but not everybody has looked deeply into it. So you have a subcommittee that has really gone deep on a particular company, uh, and then they present their findings to the general group. And then you also tend to get follow-on rights and stuff in it. So it's a really great, if you're, a, if you're somebody that really knows angel investing, um, it's really, really great because you get to share your knowledge and you get to cross-purpose your knowledge with people that know other things. And if you're not experienced in angel investing, it's great because you get to learn right next to the greats who have your, where you're all on the same side of the, the thing. People react, respond very differently when their actual money is at stake versus when they're just sort of sitting in an audience and voting. You said each unit is $75,000. Can you do a syndicate to get to that? So if I personally couldn't write a $75,000 check, but I could write a $25,000 check, and I had two friends, could we create our own vehicle and put 70 Lewis, do you need I, to take this offline? No, no, I'm not. No, no, no. <laughs> the reason why I'm asking is because, you know, unlike you know, traditional VC funds and unlike others, you know, there is that floor, but sometimes they will allow you to create another vehicle to invest. Yeah. If you can't write a quarter of a million dollar check, you can get five guys or five women to put together and I'm create. I'm actually not sure uh, if that's possible. My hunch is that it's not, um, uh, but, but I could be wrong. Um, so you founded ArcView yeah. and have led it for its entire entirety up until yes. recently. Yes. You, you hired a new president, Kim Kim Kovacs. Can yes. you tell us about her and you know yeah. her, what her vision is, and also what's it like to give up control of your baby? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, Kim is great. I, we we could not have possibly chosen someone better. Um, it was pretty unanimous among the board, among Anthology, among Entourage. Everybody was just like, yes, this is our person. And what's great about Kim is she also comes out of the ArcView family. So she was an ArcView member as an investor. 
Um, and then uh, she started a company called My Jane, uh, which she presented from our stage to our investors, um, where she raised money. And then she wound up selling her company uh, to a company that she met at Arcview. Wow. Uh, and so, you know, she's People really do win on MTV. Right. Exactly. So it's just one of the, she, you know, she's she's been at every stage of 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 the business so she gets our value proposition she knows what works about what we do she also knows what doesn't work she also knows where there's an opportunity for improvement uh, because she can see it from all those angles and she's grown and sold over five companies um, already um, some really huge successes in there and she has um, and been very involved in the venture community in Southern California uh, so she really, really gets all the little, all the little pieces, and she just came on, you know, a week and a half ago, and um, just so impressed so far. And we'll, we'll really be seeing, you know, we're going to be spending a lot of time over the next few weeks, really getting into it and, and really getting a sense of where we're, where we're headed. Um, but uh, I couldn't be more excited. And, and as it relates to me, I also couldn't be more <laughs> excited that somebody else is way, has this all weighing on their shoulders now, um, you know. Uh, in many, and we'll probably get into this in a little bit, but in many ways, I was an accidental CEO. Right? Okay, I um, I'm much more of a you know vision kind of person, an idea person, a, a, a public person, um, and an actual like implementation. Not, I'm good enough at it, <laughs> obviously. Yeah, but, you you. I would say Arcview has been a success, but it's not my sweet spot. It's to me to me being focused on implementation can be very um, um, narrowing, right? I I'm, I do much better with a wider focus, and so this is allowing me to do that. I am now uh, out there, um, kind of talking to the public, talking to our members, thinking about strategy, uh, and and thinking about a lot of the political work. And, and really being an emissary for the for the brand, but I still serve on the board and you know all of that. So I do have you know structural power. And we're going to talk about politics, yeah. um, both specific to the federal level, and then also what was just announced in Washington State, which is like what the fuck. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but. Um, what is Kim's remit? Like, what is what is you know, Arcview has five or six hundred members now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, what is her focus for the for the next twelve to eighteen months? Growing membership, um, really focusing on the value proposition to investors um, to really ramp that up. I mean, we want to have thousands of members, uh, and so that's can I ask really a question about um, you know when we think yeah. of you know angel investors and and VCs like it's a very specific yeah. category. But what does an angel investor actually look like at Arcview? Like, where was there where you know these these people were what were their professions were they former you know tech entrepreneurs was it family money like how did they yeah. i guess what are they bringing to the table and what are they finding of interest in cannabis yeah i mean we're we're kind of an interesting motley crew of of a wide range of different So Vince people. Neil is there? Right yeah. <laughs> um uh we do have we do have some uh, some some celebrities uh that are uh somewhat incognito uh as members but um the uh so it really runs the gamut. So we have, uh, I'll, but I'll give you a couple of the buckets, right? There's a lot of people who've been very successful in more traditional business, uh, 
either as entrepreneurs or as uh, you know just high level executives in you know Fortune 500 CPG companies, etc., um, who have, are now in their like either their side time um, or have made the transition to full time are investing in the sector, uh, and so we see a lot of those people. You know, kind of the the, the millionaire next door, sure, uh, who has who who is interested in this for one reason or another many of them have experiences with cannabis in their families um with a loved one or themselves that has also really inspired them um we also have family offices um one of the interesting things is we see a lot of the the kids of uh of of really well-known families um that have had you know you know enormous wealth um and it's the kids, the first time, this is the first industry that they got excited about being part of the sort of the family business. Um, so we see a lot of um, parent-child uh, situations uh, from that. And then also a lot of the venture But, Dad, firms. I really want to write a check. Right. <laughs> exactly. And it's kind of a fun thing often, too, because, you know, for a lot of these kids, their parents were upset with them as when they were teenagers or in college or whatever about their cannabis consumption. And now, you know, they've they've been able to kind of heal that wound by being in business together, um, which is kind of always interesting circle. to see. It's the healing power <laughs> of cannabis. Yep. But we also see like venture capital funds. Um, we see people from more traditional finance who are kind of, you know, people. We have a bunch of people from like the big banks who are theoretically doing this in their in their off time. But of course, what they're doing is they're they're researching this for because they want to be the pioneer within their in their organization and if their organization doesn't doesn't hop on it then then maybe they'll they'll peel off and do their own thing which is how we got most of the venture funds in our space how big are the checks that people write you know it really runs the gamut i mean we have uh people writing million two million three million dollar checks uh into companies and then you also have a wide range of people that write fifty thousand or hundred thousand dollar checks well so, so your event is coming up next week no Two weeks? Two weeks. That's right. Two weeks. Two weeks. Yes, February in Santa 4th Monica, through 6th. Right? Um, and assuming most of our listeners have not been to an Arcue event, can you walk us through one and what they can expect? If I told you, Anne, I'd have to clean it. <laughs> <laughs> it's very private and very secretive. No, I'm just You do realize you're talking yeah, both publicly on, like, a, well, on a, a podcast and you've hired here? a PR firm. <laughs> oh, I've hired a PR firm. Oh, shoot. Okay. I don't, can't have both. Can't have both. Oh, worlds, huh? man. No. Um, it's, really, it's really different than most events that people go to. I think that most events that people go to, uh, particularly business events, particularly cannabis events, what it really boils down to is it's a bunch of people trading business cards. Oh, what do you do? Oh, what do you do? Oh, maybe, you know, here, here's my business card. And everybody's like out there selling each other, right? What I think makes ArcView different is one, it's curated, right? So nobody is there if they haven't been invited. Um, and if they're not, you know, qualified in some way, shape or form, if they're a company, they've been invited there. Um, either because they've gone through a selection process um, or because they're a sponsor and because, you know, we feel like they're good, good people to be there. Um, and if they're an investor, they're there because they're there to place capital. And so that really changes things. But there's also another X factor, which is that we're there to help each other. Um, it's really a community. And the investors that are there are there collectively to evaluate these companies. And 
that changes the whole, if you're there to work with somebody that's sitting next to you on a project together, it totally changes how people interact. And so it really feels like family. Um, and the camaraderie is remarkable. And so we spend three days with lots of different things to get people in contact with each other. We're going to be doing uh, roundtables, for example, where we get into small groups to discuss a wide range of interesting topics that are relevant to investors uh, in the sector. Um, and lots of you know cocktail hours and things like that where people get a chance to, to really get in contact with each other. Um, and of course, every member has an account manager. So imagine you're going to a, a MJ Biz or any of the of the other events, and imagine there was somebody there that was there to help you get connected to the people that you that are most going to help you accomplish your goal in the cannabis sector. That's what we're, that's what we're doing. So there's a lot of personal attention uh, that goes into it. And also, everyone wants to help everybody else. So, you know, when one ArcView member calls another ArcView member, the other member usually picks up, right? So the companies that are there, right? Yeah. If I'm, if I'm, you know, a drinks company, yeah. Do I have? Is it like Shark Tank where I go up and I pitch, or how does that work? Yeah. So there's a couple different ways. If you've gone through the selection process, which is our the process by which you know usually there's ten, nine or ten companies at each event. Uh, that have gone through the selection process and been selected. Um, and by the way, that process is totally free. There is zero cost for the company. We're not taking a piece of the deal, none of that, right? It's our goal is to just get the best companies there. And so they apply, uh, and uh, Louis Hahn, who's our uh, director of entrepreneur relations, reviews most of them, and then uh, has them submit something if he thinks that there's something of interest. Uh, has them submit something more fully, and then they present to our selection committee uh, via a webinar. And that committee then decides, uh, has a number of meetings, and we have different people that are focused on different issue areas. They then choose the companies based on that. And then um, once they've agreed on the eight or nine companies, uh, then they're paired up with a mentor uh, within the group that is kind of like their... Uh, champion uh, that helps them kind of really put their best foot forward for this group. Uh, and then they're also assigned uh, three judges, um, what we used to call sharks, but now we, we call uh, expert judges um, for our ready-to-invest segment. Um, and those people are kind of there to be the devil's advocate. They're there to ask the tough questions that are probably floating around the audience. And their goal is to let the company know what those things are likely to be before they're up there so that they get a chance to really address and pull out the concerns so that they have a chance to address them. And then people vote um, on, on the company. And at the end, uh, we, 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 we award somebody uh, a, a trophy. Um, and, uh, and at least, I think at this one, it's at least a $25,000 investment. And and do most of these presenting companies raise money from the audience? Are they able to maybe not right then and there, yeah, or maybe then and there? But sometimes they're then and there, but usually it takes a few months before we know whether people have uh, succeeded or not. Um, uh, yes, some companies will will raise a lot. Some companies will raise a little, and some companies will raise nothing. Um, sometimes you know something looks good on paper, um, but when you put it up on stage and you really start to pick it apart, you find out that it's not really 
as good a deal as you thought it was, right? And that's part of the benefit of this multi-phase approach is that you know at each at each level you're 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 catching more of the more of the things. But also, there's been examples of companies that have come and presented that got like basically booed off the stage, <laughs> who later turned into like huge successes. Can you so, give an example? Um, oh yes, yes, yes. What was it? Um, a Canvas RX got bought by Aurora, I believe, for a really large sum of money. And they presented um, at, uh, on our stage at, a, at, a, at what people thought was a very, very high valuation, which was why they were not why they weren't able to raise capital out of by our By the way, do you give out tomatoes to the audience? <laughs> <laughs> it's evil. Um, the, uh, yeah, so they got... They, they basically didn't, they got like, I can't believe you're at that valuation. And something like a year and a half later, they sold for like five or six X the valuation that they were, you know, so sometimes that happens, right? Um, and so, um, but yeah, and then other times people will, will literally walk off the stage and be, be completely done. And then sometimes we have companies, what they'll do is they may have their round basically done, but they'll hold at least a few hundred thousand dollars aside for ArcView members because they know the power of when this group gets behind it. Because even the people who are not on your cap table are still cheering for you. And it makes us want to tout to the world everything that you're up to for the for eternity, right? So there, there's some benefit in, the, in companies, you know, holding at least a few hundred thousand dollars aside for our members. So let's go in the way back time yeah. machine for a yeah. second. Um, you know, you, you started ArcView in 2010 with Steve D'Angelo. Mm -hmm. You talk about that that moment where you and he, you were over a beer, you were smoking a joint. Something happened, and you looked at each other and went, "Arcview." Can you can you take us through that moment? Yeah, yeah. So I had I had I had kind of you know I was working at the Marijuana Policy Project at the time. I was their lead fundraiser. So my job was to gather gather uh, uh, donations from really wealthy people, both in the cannabis sector and outside of the cannabis sector. Now, remember, this is 2009, so in the cannabis sector it was, was really small. tiny. Uh, and so most people were outside of the cannabis sector, and they were donating not because they had any thought to create wealth or anything like that with it. They were donating because they simply cared about ending cannabis prohibition for the justice reasons. And... But if they were people who could donate ten thousand or a hundred thousand dollars to the cause, they were also people with money who had investments. And what they started to see was that as that they were donating and creating essentially a new industry, and they were kind of surprised by that, and started to get interested in investing. And what I noticed is that they didn't know anything. <laughs> they, they, for whatever they knew in their other world, they didn't weren't able to apply it here. I mean, and they just watched them make stupid mistakes. And then also the people I was raising money from within the cannabis sector, they didn't know how to pitch. They didn't know how to put a deck together. They didn't understand. You know, they didn't know the people. And this I knew. is two years before Colorado went adult use. Oh, this right? is two thousand nine. Is oh no three right? Three, Twelve was when well, Colorado three, yeah, passed. More like four because it happens in November of two thousand twelve. And then the other thing that was interesting about Colorado is even when it passed. Most people didn't think it was actually going to happen until it happened, right? It wasn't until January of 2014 when there was the news, worldwide news, of people walking out of stores with cannabis out in the open in front of the yeah, television Yeah, and most got stoned on CNN. <laughs> right. 
Right. So that that people didn't think legalization really happened until that day. Right. So we're talking this is five years before that time. Okay. Uh, And so I had known Steve because I was trying to raise money from him for uh, for MPP. And we just built a really good bond actually by disagreeing with each other. We 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 disagreed about the politics in California and how it was going to get done at the time. And we both really liked how each other disagreed with each other. And so when I came to him and I said, Steve, I got look at this. There's all these people that want in. There's this huge opportunity in ancillary products and services in the cannabis sector. And at the time, you know, Harborside had to be a nonprofit. Right. So it was like we we get to we let's build some let's build a for profit business that actually does this. And he was like, well, he saw the flip side of the problem I was seeing all these entrepreneurs, tons of people with beautiful, wonderful ideas that weren't fully baked that he couldn't act on and didn't know how to sort them and or anything like that. And so it was within a few minutes of me explaining to him, he was like, it was one of these like things where he was like, absolutely, let's go into business. And we had like maybe two other meetings and he became our first investor. And frankly, we didn't even know what we were really gonna do. I mean, we just knew there was an opportunity and that both of us wanted to be in business together and that we would figure out the business model as we went along. So that's your first check. Do you remember the first company that pitched ArcView? I do, Um, (laughs) I, I do. Uh, it was MJ Freeway. Wow. <laughs> really? Yep. Jessica, huh? Yep, yep. Um, Interesting. Yep. MJ Freeway was the very first company to present. And um, I think it was like a $4 million valuation, something like that, right? Um, and this is now, MJ Freeway is now a Kerna um, with, a, I don't know, what's their market cap? About 100. 100 million, yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, and and yeah, they they presented. They had the the their um, uh, what is it? What do we call it? CRM. Uh, yeah, uh, it, it's it's a seat to sale seat to sale tracking platform, right? Yeah. Uh, and 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 they they presented. They did not raise money. It actually took a couple of years before we actually had any real checks written. Uh, they did eventually raise money. They they met uh, they met Joby Pritzker at that at that. At that meeting, was one, Joby was one of the first, you know, dozen or so members, um, and then, uh, and then it was Dow Capital, which is uh, uh, Joby's um, uh, family office, uh, that became one of their first investors a few years later. Um, so sometimes that's a good lesson, which is that sometimes, even when you don't get money, you build relationships that turn out really well. Uh, later um let's pivot because we've talked yeah. about money for a lot yeah um and we're going to still talk about money but arcview is is for the most part focused on private investing you know it's private investors yeah. investing in in pre-public and oftentimes pre-revenue companies yeah. but a lot of your companies that have come through arcview have graduated to yes. the public markets and 2019 was a shitty year for yes. public cannabis companies what do you think 2020 is going to look like from a public market mm-hmm. perspective specifically? Yeah, well, we're already starting to see some recovery, uh, in part because I think the um, earnings are coming back, showing that 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 companies are recovering, particularly in a lot of the states uh, like you know Michigan, Massachusetts, and and others where there there's real opportunity. Massachusetts, Massachusetts, not as much, yeah. but but 
but there's some real opportunity. Well, Illinois, Illinois is coming along. You know, so there, there's there's some really unique opportunities, and you know, uh, at Arcview we just put out our new market numbers, um, and we showing that in 2018 the market grew 48 percent. That may be the largest jump in a single year in uh, worldwide sales, retail sales, and. We're showing that, that so it's now about a fifteen billion dollar market. It's growing. Listen, listen, market. Listen, listen. Yeah, L- growing to a forty two billion dollar market uh, by twenty twenty four. So that's about a twenty three percent compound annual growth rate. I believe this is the only industry with that kind of growth rate where the public stocks are at like a, a third of what they were, a quarter of what they were uh, before. That's opportunity right um, and if you plot the the uh, growth of this market against the growth of the market cap of of the major companies um, what you'll find is we're in a real dip right now this is a real opportunity um, and so I think we're gonna see them recover um, I think it might be a while before they recover past their uh, their their peak because I think that we all agreed there needed to be a correction there to some degree, yeah, I mean, but if I you're think there's off an seventy percent. Yeah. You have to grow one hundred and forty percent just to get back to par. Exactly. Um, now I do think that there is real hope for that in November. Um, we're going to be on a bunch of ballot ballots, um, and if we can raise the money, you're skipping ahead. Oh, you're skipping. No, it's fine. Go ahead. No, 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 no. Go ahead. <laughs> and if we can raise the money uh, in, in these next, you know, six to ten weeks, really, of you know, get real visibility on on the resources, we can put more, even more states on the ballot. So you're you're you come out of advocacy, right? Yeah. You said you were with Manorama Policy Project. You with with our friends Chris Crane, yep. Shay Gunther, our producer, yes. is yep. one of your oldest friends. Yep. Chris Lotlicker helped found Students for Sensible yep. Drug Policy. You know, you guys are in large part responsible for the the first the medical movement and the adult use movement. Um, there are going to be anywhere from four to eight states that will have ballot initiatives coming up this year how much does it cost to get to get a state legal like it you know uh, give an example of uh, Arizona right mm-hmm. Arizona most likely will have a ballot initiative to go from a medical market to an adult use market how much money does that cost from an advocacy perspective to get that state to go legal yeah I don't know in each state I'm not up to speed on the specifics but in every state's very different but I right. would suspect that Arizona's probably in the four to six million dollar range okay and um, what about like a state like Ohio Ohio's another ball game because they have a very very difficult process for getting on the ballot and they also have a lot of media markets represented in Ohio so the ads are, are hard but but you know Ohio it is probably more than 10 million um, uh, and so every state's very, very different. And then you juxtapose that with legislative states. So there's only 21 states in the union that have um, ballot initiatives uh, that you can actually put on the ballot. And the rest you have to go through the legislature. Now, going through the legislature is much cheaper, but it takes much longer. And it, um, I mean, other and than you, Illinois, you, yeah. it hasn't worked, right? Well, I mean, it's worked for medical, yeah, but um, not for adult use, and and then Vermont for adult use, but not but yeah, not tax and regulate. That's an right. ish. It's an ish, right? Sure, um, 
but I think that now that it the 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 bow has broken with 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 Illinois, I think that we've got an opportunity in a wide range of other states. Um, well, New York, you know, exactly, Cuomo now today. has said yeah. that he's putting it into his budget, right? So that's a legislative moment. Um, uh, New Jersey shit the bed. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it did. I mean, you know, yeah. understandably so. It's not like it was. It was not ill intent. It was the issues in New Jersey were around social justice, social equity, expungement, um, and and it looks like it's going to be on the ballot in 2020. So that's a good example. You know, New Jersey sandwiched between Philadelphia and New York, and you know, the two, the, the number one and number five most expensive media markets in the country. How expensive it, do you think that New Jersey is going to be a, a heavy lift to get done? Well, um, I think the polling in New Jersey is very strong. Um, and so um, that always reduces the cost a, a little bit. But because it's so important and because it's it's right there, if you pass New Jersey, they all have to go. It kind right? of is a domino, right? It's a real domino. Um, and also, New Jersey is very unique, too, because this is not a citizen's initiative. This is the legislature putting an initiative on the ballot, which is quite rare. I don't think that happens very often in New Jersey. So the New Jersey voters are not used to voting on ballot initiatives like California voters. I mean, California Ugh. voters, it's like, you know, it's like, like 30 seven things. hours to vote. Yeah, it takes hours to vote. Right. So this is going to be very interesting in New Jersey, um, and we do want to make sure we have the resources to really make sure. Are we going to yeah. Kev- see Kevin Sabet all over New Jersey? <laughs> I'm sure we will. Uh, he's a trip. Oh, we didn't even talk about your uh, your Fox Biz segment oh, yeah. the other day. Yeah, that was fun. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. What, what what shall we say about that? Well, so you were on with Kennedy, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, the the old MTVJ who yes. became a conservative radio host who is now on Fox Business, and she had a quote unquote debate between you <laughs> and Kevin Sabet. Now, for our listeners who don't know who Kevin Sabet is, he is maybe the last prohibitionist out there, um, or who, at least the most vocal. Yeah, and and you know he. He takes a unique position of cherry. Him and Alex Berenson take very unique positions and cherry pick data. Um, and you got to be, you were on, you were in the belly of the beast in Fo- in Foxland. Yeah. What was that experience like? Um, it was great. Uh, I, I actually came away from it kind of feeling bad for Kevin Sabet because I don't <laughs> think Kennedy gave him a chance to really, you know, make his case fully um and i was certain if they let him make his case more fully one um it would have been easier to pick it apart um and two for the people in the audience who maybe kind of lean in his direction or are unsure you know when you're unfair to a guest it's 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 um it makes it hard to you know for them to be you know sympathetic to your cause Right? Uh, yeah, we should um, say Kennedy's very pro, oh, you know, right. cannabis, pro legalization, and she just eviscerated him. She, yeah, uh, she and just you were went kind for of it. along yeah. for the ride. <laughs> yes, but but part of it was great because you know she got in the in the weeds with him, and that allowed me to really make you know kind of be above the fray yes. and make the points that I wanted. You were to like make. the elder statesman. It was yeah. delicious. <laughs> it was definitely fun to watch. It was yeah. fun. <laughs> and it was fun to do too, and it was fun to be backstage. It was the most. 
active green room I've ever been in in my really? life. There was like people were like, you know, they had all the, they had like these pundits on who were who come on and talk to her. It was a really I've been in a lot of green rooms and they're always like really sleepy. This was a hopping green room. I mean, people were having a good time. They, they were had talking. cigar girls passing out. <laughs> you know, it was great. Um, so our mutual friend Chris Crane, yes, um, he thinks that there's a pretty good chance that next year or this year, I'm sorry, Donald Trump is going to do something on cannabis, whether it's reschedule, deschedule, something to steal the issue away from the Democrats. Uh, you know, and with Joe Biden uh, looking like a, a potential candidate here mm-hmm. who is nominee. not a friend of a nominee, not a friend of the cannabis industry at all. He is he is the, the literally the worst Democrat running for president right now. What do you think the likelihood of Donald Trump, you know, trying to steal this issue is? Um, I think it's plausible um but you know it's been interesting to watch this administration because i would not use the word interesting (laughs) because if you (laughs) because there have been a lot of things that seem obvious to me like obvious opportunities to score political points or to do something popular with a wide range of people that they've not done so it's because vladimir putin hasn't told him to do it yet (laughs) i guess the the and so you know, it, it, it if they were trying to do do something, they're doing a lot of things that seem like the thing you would do if you were trying to be less popular, right? Um, and so it doesn't work. He's still forty percent. It's nuts. It's insane. Um, but but I think on this issue, um, it's so obvious. The polling, it's like it's like it's a softball. It is especially if the nominee is Biden. Um, if the nominee is anybody else. It doesn't. It it's not as it's not as valuable because the the, the other nominees are all super pro cannabis, um, and so. Uh, but but if it's Biden, oh, it's an easy outflank, and which is one of the reasons why I think we not we got to be careful about about Biden because, um, because this is another attack that no none of the pundits are going to notice this as one of the ways that he may be weak. Because this is an easy outflank. Because look, cannabis legalization is popular among Republicans, and most people don't realize that. Are cannabis? Are people who care about cannabis? It, does it rank high enough in their hierarchy of issues to sway a vote, or is it just kind of something that's in the back of their mind? Um, I think for different for different uh, demographics, it is important. Um, uh, particularly younger people, particularly um, uh, independent, intermittent voters, um, really care about cannabis. You've been doing this a long time. You've been involved in activism and in the cannabis space for 25 years. If you could go back in time and tell your 25 year or 25 years ago and say, hey, Troy, you should know this. This is what, like, what is the thing that you would counsel yourself when you were in college about what's coming? Well, you know, the, and I would say this for almost everything, right? Not just cannabis, but everything. If I could go back to my 18, 19 year old self, I would say, relax. <laughs> just put one foot in front of the other, my friend. Like, you're on the right path. Just believe it's all going to work out. 
just fine. Just keep getting up every morning and doing what you care about and not keep worrying about where the chips are going to fall, right? Um, and, you know, it was, it was actually Chuck Thomas, uh, who's one of the co-founders of the Marijuana Policy Project, when I started volunteering there the year that they, they, they started in 1995. And I said, Chuck, I mean, you've been doing this for so long. What do you, what, like, like, when do you think it's going to happen? When do you think cannabis is going to be legal? I mean, do you think, what if it takes forever? And he said, I don't worry about that at all. I just get up every morning and I get stuff done because, you know, when you look at history, what you find is that like, it doesn't matter. There's always going to be, he said, there's always going to be people trying to deprive people of liberty for what they put in their bodies. And it could be that I'm alive during a time when while I'm alive, the, 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 the ball doesn't go all the way over to the other line. Um, but if I wasn't there fighting, it could be so far in the other direction. Um, and so I don't concern myself with that because I'm just one person and, and there's people before me and there's people after me. I just want to know I'm the one on the side of fighting for liberty. And, and that's kind of how I've really tried to, tried to approach it. Um, it just happens to be the luck of the draw that while I was fighting for liberty, the thing actually happened. Stephen Cotter says that the distraction economy, that's everything that's used to, to alter your brain chemistry. It could be anything from television shows or books or drugs is a $10 trillion global industry. Absolutely. So all of this stuff is, is working on dopamine and serotonin in different ways. And, you know, we think that we're scrolling, our, you know, hitting the button on our Facebook because we want more information or to connect with people. But there's another storyline, which is we're looking for dopamine. Right. And so. It's it's everywhere, and it's getting better at accomplishing that. And so, really, the it really gets more fundamental, which is that ultimately we we all need to be able to find within ourselves something that's strong, um, in order to uh, be aware that these things are, are are doing this, whether it's drugs or it's television or it's social media or it's food. Um, you know the forces. Uh, that are hijacking us are getting stronger and stronger, and we're not going to legislate that away. And it hasn't worked. I mean, yeah. you know, the prohibition economy has never worked yeah. because it is inherent in human nature to try and find something to alter your consciousness. Exactly. Whether it's heading towards a flow state where you're a peak performance or just you want to distract and shut off totally and it's why it's why i'm so excited about this flow state you mentioned stephen kotler and uh, you know jamie wheel stealing fire all this stuff. love those books okay wait you know. can we talk about what that is <laughs> so there's a so the the concept of flow yeah. is that when you are in peak performance that your body and your mind are stressed to the point that you literally go into the next level right mm -hmm. so and you've probably had those moments when you're playing a game you're playing you were an athlete in college right and you you well, just take school, it up but, high yeah. school you were an athlete you went to that next level there are ways to hack your brain to get you there on a consistent basis and that's the concept of flow that Stephen Cotter and Jamie we all talk about in a book called stealing fire there's another book called napping cloud nine they actually have a, a training se seminar for a week out in California um, you know this is you know, this is what Silicon Valley is focused on. This is actually what the big banks are focused on. On big how sports. <laughs> everybody, yeah. but 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 this concept of 
altering your consciousness to achieve a different level of experience and to make you a better human being. It's not something that you can keep for a permanent period of time. It's short bursts of time. It could be 14 seconds. It could be 14 minutes or 14 hours, but you can't, you can't keep it that way. But how do you get to that perspective, that point? And then how do you integrate the experience? How do you take the lessons that you learn from being in that flow state and bring it into the rest of your life? That's what we're talking about. Yeah. And I, and I see, you know, and I can see cannabis as being in service to that. Um, and sometimes not being of service to it. It's all how you orient to, to your experience and, and, and sensing into whether it's bringing you closer to feeling on or, or further and and recognizing the value of sort of neurodiversity within your own your own being right that 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 you know you got to have good sleep and you got to exercise and you got to meditate and you got to eat right and you got to have fun and you got to have human connection and you've got to see the world from you have wide to have range of you have to be an animal I mean, yeah. we are animals right yeah. and and i think that we often forget that human humans are just primates that have bigger brains and a big ass that allows us to stand upright. <laughs> right. I mean, it's a really interesting um, thing. This whole, you know, it's funny. We all we we're here. We're talking about cannabis, and we're talking about business, and we're talking about politics. But fundamentally, what is this drive? What is this drive? I mean, really, what we're doing is is altering consciousness, and and it begs the question: What is consciousness? It begs the question: What is it that gets us when we consume cannabis gets us more interested in the in the um, in, in the creative aspects of life um, or helps us really think about what's important or we laugh a lot or whatever there's just nothing more valuable in this world than a change in perspective because our whole culture is built around getting us to get stuck in a perspective that serves the powers that be and cannabis is so powerful at helping us kind of pop out of that and there's so many other ways to do that too, and it's one of the reasons that this medicine's so interesting. Well, one, one of the things about cannabis is it changes your perspective of time, right? Because we are uh, creatures that take our experience and use that to predict forward, and that we look back often, and it's rare that we are just in the moment, which is the concept of flow, right? You are, you are there. There is no yesterday, there is no tomorrow, there just is now. And one of the things that they are researching about cannabis is that it shuts off for a period of time that, that forward prediction experience, you know, uh, engine and that reflective engine and it just it's why when you listen to music yeah. when you're high it is a much more transcendent experience because it's like you're hearing those notes for the first time again and again um, and and there is a belief that at higher doses cannabis is a form of a psychedelic which has that impact of shutting down or or influencing the default mode network and I, I find this stuff I mean Yes, we are talking, and we're going to get back to the business of this, but, you know, the concept of, of the impact that cannabis has on your consciousness is absolutely fascinating. Yeah, in fact, um, one of the things we're going to be doing at um, the, the next ArcView, um, part, of, part, of part of the deal uh, is that uh, I said, well, if I'm going to switch out of the CEO role, you got to let me do some outside-the-box kind of things. And they were like, okay. So we're, gonna, um, we're actually going to have sound healers, like people that, that create, like, like a sound journey for people um, where people can consume cannabis and then they all lay down and, and this group comes in and plays like singing bowls and gongs and stuff like that and, and uses aromatherapy and stuff to really take people on a journey and introduce these investors and entrepreneurs 
in, in some cases to a new way to utilize cannabis for inner exploration. Um, and, you know, historically, you, you know, ArcView has only been focused on cannabis companies. I have encouraged you guys to look at psychedelic companies as well, um, because you know, as an agency, KCSA is now moving into that space. It's the next, it's the next big thing from a business perspective, um, and you know, both from a personal and professional perspective, it is the the next. It is the thing to help treat the global mental health crisis that we are facing. Um, Let's get back to to what we were talking about, and I think this is all leads into to, to literally my favorite question that I ask of every guest, which is about failure. You know, you have been a success in your career, um, and you have had you know this moment when when Anthology and Entourage put money into uh, t- into into um, Arcview benefited you, right? And that's great, and I'm happy for you, and I think everybody should have that moment. But you've had some tremendous failures in your life, right? And Thanks, every- Lewis. Well, yeah. Yeah. I have failed. My you know God, what? we all I, fail until we I succeed. I thought this was going to be an easy interview. Yeah, <laughs> Man, you know. But 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 you learn from failure. You sure. don't learn from yeah. success. Anybody can step into success. But it's those moments where you went, oh, man, I fucked up. And what is the lesson so that I don't because failure is pain. And, you, you know, we run away from pain and towards pleasure. What is the pain that you have learned from that has helped make you the success today? Yeah, so uh, it's interesting. I wouldn't say this was super painful, but uh, but I, I did learn a lot for it. It'll sound painful, but I don't think it actually was. I Around 2012, uh, late 2011, 2012, so Steve D'Angelo had, had invested the money he was going to invest, and we kind of gave me like a year or so to figure out how to have a business model that would keep me alive and, and, and funded. And, you know, by that point, we didn't have that yet. I mean, we had a couple thousand dollars coming in a month, but that was, you know, just not enough really to keep me uh, afloat. And uh, so I had to make a decision as to whether I wanted to have a social life or a home. Um, and if I wanted to do the things I wanted to do or if I wanted to live somewhere, I didn't have the money to do both. And where so were just, you at this point? I was in Oakland, California. And I decided uh, that I was going to give up my home. So um, for about nine months. Were you married at the time? No. Okay. Um, for about nine months, I uh, was homeless. I lived in my car. I um, stayed on people's couches. Uh, and, you know, it was interesting. It was, in retrospect, you know, people say, oh, wow, you know. Um, it was, I was fine. I mean, granted, I'm very privileged in that, you know, I have a lot of friends who have resources and they like me <laughs> so you know it's you not had the same meals, you had a job to yeah go to. it's not the same it was when you're homeless and you don't have that kind of a network right. um so i don't want to i don't want to glorify uh, homelessness in any way um but what i learned during that time is that um is that i'm fine like you could take all of this away and i'd be fine um uh but it also kind of um gave me a lot of fire too because there's this sense of I was willing to sacrifice to keep this business alive to keep the lights on to to really you know stand up for what I believed in and fight for what I believed and and keep in mind that around that time was a few months before 
Colorado and Washington passed legalization. And so I was actually, by the end of 2012, I was thinking that maybe we would close down Arcview, that, that actually it wasn't working. Um, and I was looking at other potential career moves and, at that point. But it was really Steve D'Angelo. You know, Steve D'Angelo never wavered. I mean, Steve D'Angelo, of course, easy for him to say he wasn't sleeping on couches. No, but he was in <laughs> but, jail, right, right? right? There were times during right, that time then, he was in jail. No, not yeah. that, that was years before. Yeah. But um, but point is, is that uh, he was like, no, cannabis is going to change the world. It's going to be a huge business and we're going to turn on, you know, billions of people to the benefits of it. And just you wait and see. Hold on, Troy. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then sure enough, uh, I raised a bunch of money for the, the Colorado uh, ballot initiative, and, and we won. And we won. And then the phone started ringing come January 2013. Phone starts ringing. And uh, we got um, on the— in, Where it, was that phone, by the way? In Oakland. Um, no, no, because oh. you would—I mean, I guess oh, right, right. you had I was an office, living, right? You oh, yes, yes. We, I was living— in a little tiny studio cottage behind someone's house in Oakland, um, very, very small. And um, it was uh, me, Michael Blunk, Jess Dugan, and uh, David Abernathy. Uh, we each had a, a spot on my kitchen table because um, there's four sides to a table. That's how many desks we had. It was four people with their laptops. And here we were on the cover of Fortune Magazine, the cover, um, in April of 2013. And here we were all huddled around a table in a one-bedroom cottage in Oakland. Um, and it was just this great irony. But it really, that set the stage for what's come, which is, um, you know, Fortune was the first time that they had done a big story, the big story on the cannabis sector that a major business publication had done that and it was us well that was what helped the phone start ringing and after that we got members and members and then people started actually making investments and you know it's true if you build it they they will come sometimes <laughs> this time that eventually happened <laughs> let's go to um troy you've been so generous with your time thank you so much um the, our last question that we always ask guests is, what was, what's the one story that you think the media is missing um, when it comes to reporting on cannabis? What's the most underreported story that just drives you banana pants? You know, I used to have an answer to this all the time. I actually, this was, because that was my sort of thing with reporters for many years. I get on the call and I always have like this story that they weren't telling that I thought they could be telling. But something happened in the last you know, year or two where like, you know, there's enough people on the cannabis beat that I think they're telling most of the stories. I, I think I think if anything, I would love to see more of what we were seeing um, a few years ago, which is these sort of human interest stories around the stories of entrepreneurs and investors and the trials and tribulations and the overcoming of things. I mean, we've kind of gotten away from that because it's not as novel as it was before as a business. But those stories that we were telling a few years ago um, are still just as exciting and there's just as riveting 
as they were then. It's just that the media has kind of moved on to like talking about the market growth and the and the and and the, the dips in the market and the this and the that. Right? There's all of this kind of stuff. It's it's now being reported on like it's like it's uh, you know the tech industry a real or something industry. like that. And yeah. The, do you right. think Which that's a, just a result of like your hard work, and that's that's actually a good thing? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's wonderful that it's that that's happening, but there is something lost in it, and that is that the the, the what's lost is that people keep are forgetting that we're not just an industry. That as long as there are people going to jail and getting arrested anywhere in this world, we're still a movement, and that seems to be falling out of the storylines um and then also just the amount of risk and the amount of uh, reverence and the amount of 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 guts that it takes to start a business or to invest in a business in this sector and what people need to overcome in order to do that and the challenges that they face when they do it that is great drama that is really exciting stuff to be to be to be writing about and i see every day that we get taken more seriously that they forget about those stories you guys have meetings in in santa monica you've had them in new york where else do you have your meetings oh we've had them all over um uh, toronto uh new york chicago uh san francisco uh vancouver la vegas um i was at the vegas one yeah yep so um, um yeah so we've have we have them all over the place and uh, and then also we're, we'll probably be rolling out some smaller events um, in where we have clusters of people. So we have a lot of people in, in Dallas and in Houston and in Atlanta and in Miami, right? So rather than having huge meetings, you know, having opportunities for the local people that are local to really get together um, and do more of that. So getting back to that kid yeah. from Oklahoma, yeah. right? And he's saying, look, is this played out? Is there still opportunity for me? You know, is it? Played out because a lot of people who have an entrepreneurial spirit see the MSOs and they think, oh, you know, these are super tankers. They're not. Um, they're all still very small, small companies. Right. Um, where do you see the opportunity for people now? Well, so this whole idea that, that that maybe the ship has sailed is bananas, right? I mean, we are we're in the second inning, maybe the third inning, right? But there's also this concept of, you know, the pioneers get slaughtered and the settlers prosper, right? I think we're right at that mode where we're figuring out which of the pioneers are going to get slaughtered and which are going to make it through uh, to be able to ride with the settlers. And it's now the time that the settlers are, are coming in and where a lot of the, the pioneers have taken so many arrows that the new people don't need to take anymore. And, um, and so... I really think that there couldn't be a better time uh, to get involved uh, than what we have right now, um, because I think that it's um, a very, a very special time. Uh, we're right before all the Fortune 500 companies come in, um, but we're still at a time where there's a lot of room for a better mousetrap. Um, and how do you know how to make a better mousetrap? You look at the mousetraps that have already been built and you make a better one. There's always room for a better mousetrap. I mean, I know we said we were going to be done, but we're not done. Okay. Unless you have to go. No, go, you know. go, go for it. Um, you know, th those, let's talk about some of those settlers. And we don't have to name names, but, you know, they, a, a, any public cannabis company is struggling for cash now, right? Um, 
And, you know, we thought that 2019 was going to be the year of the M&A. We had talked to Alan Brockstein um, at the end of 2018, and he said, I expect, you know, to see, you know, lots of mergers and acquisitions. And there were some, you know, there were some big ones. Most of them still haven't closed yet. Um, Given this cash crunch, do you see this year being a year of shotgun marriages, of marriages of equals, of, you know, companies selling themselves off for parts? I mean, what, what's going to happen this year? Yeah, I think we're going to see all of the above. Um, and we're also going to see things that are like it's not it's going to be hard to pick trends because there's some companies if they're running out of cash, you know. When you're running out of cash, you gotta make you gotta make decisions to stay alive, right? And then the companies that have the cash are gonna be in a whole different situation because they're gonna wanna be able to benefit from buying up companies uh, that are struggling. Um, so it's really gonna depend on cash management and um, cash flow and access to cash. Uh, and so. It, that's going to well, depend the on everything. Well, the access to cash has been hard, right? I mean, last right. year, you know, we had Richard Carlton on, who yeah. is the CEO mm-hmm. of the Canadian Securities Exchange, and he said we had more listings in 2019 than we did in 2018 or 2017, but the amount of capital that they raised was significantly less. You know, the guys who need to raise capital, you know, there's not a lot of sources of money. So are your ArcView members now looking at putting money into the public companies, whether they're doing, you know, pipes, which is a, a, a private investment into a public entity or, you know, yeah, distressed debt? Yeah, there, there, there's some of that for sure. Um, and it's a bit of a double-edged sword, the lack of capital in the public markets, right? On the, on the one hand, it's good for private investors because, you know, about a year ago, everybody was you know if you're a private investor you're competing with this funny money right from the public public markets these companies just have like basically free money and they can drive the price up of of you these private deals both in terms of um uh, uh investing in but also uh uh when you look at the multiples that people are getting on their companies that also causes an inflation of the private market because they can say look this company like us just sold for you know 30x um so that justifies a higher valuation so now that that money is gone the the valuations are so much more reasonable um and they're not competing with with this funny money um when they're in a deal so that's the positive side the downside is depending on how long you think this cash crunch is going to last, it also means that you have to make sure that the companies you're investing in have enough access to capital or enough capital or a business model that's going to reduce their need for capital sooner because there isn't these companies that are necessarily going to save the day and give you a return on your investment right away. So the, there's a, the, the ecosystem, the funding ecosystem is missing a rung right now. Um, but when do you I think believe, the spigot is going to open up again? I believe the spigot is going to open up uh, probably um, in November. Oh, that late. Um, but no, I mean, I think it's slowly already starting to happen a mm-hmm. little bit. But I think really, if we have a big day on Election Day or it looks like they're all going to pass um, or a lot of them are going to pass, I think that opens up a lot of markets. I think we start to see real movement. Uh, and I think that that causes people to to, to realize um that there's the opportunity is huge. So you've seen every deal that ArcView has seen, mm-hmm. right? Have you put your own money in on occasion? I have not. 
You never uh, I invested. Don't, I, I haven't had. I, I'm. I, I was living on a couch. <laughs> I, I, did you miss that part of the story, though? Uh, uh, did you miss that part? <laughs> that's that's ten years ago <laughs> or eight years ago. Yeah, I'm uh, been 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 helping uh, Arcview succeed. So no, in terms of my own personal capital, right. okay, uh, not 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 as not as much. Um, uh, and also, I'm already, you know, overly invested into the sector if anything i need to diversify into other sectors right now because i right now it's like you know uh, a a very very disproportionate amount of my net yeah. worth is is stuck in in a, in a in a very exciting but private company yes. in the cannabis sector called arcview <laughs> <laughs> okay man thank you so much yeah. this has been absolutely fascinating we're going to want to have you back um if we're going to publish this next week um so if people want to come to arcview in santa monica mm -hmm. yes how do they do that best thing to do is to go to arcviewgroup.com and click a button uh that says you're an investor uh and um make sure you're an accredited investor and fill out the form and we got people hop on the call hop on a call with you talk you through it and uh, get you squared away. We'd love to have you. Um, we are full on companies. So uh, if you're a company and you're interested in working with ArcView, you can go through uh, another uh, uh, route on the website and you can apply to be part of our um, selection process uh, for, for, for the next one, as well as um, uh, if you're interested in sponsoring a future event, uh, there'll be opportunities there as well. That was awesome. Thank you so much, Troy. Yeah. Thank My you, pleasure. Troy. Thanks for having us. Our thanks to Troy Dayton from Arcview. Check them out at arcviewgroup.com. Um, Troy, are you on social media? I am. Where can we find you? Um, I, well, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, um, I'm T Dazzle with, with no E on the end, T Dazzle on Twitter. Uh, and uh, I guess Facebook, uh, yeah, I'm just looking for Troy Dayton. Okay. Um, as always, we want to thank our audience for listening. Um, if you want to chat with us, you can find us on Twitter with the handle at the underscore Green Rush or on Instagram at the Green Rush underscore podcast. Still drives me nuts that we don't have the same freaking handles for both things. Um, you can always <laughs> drop us an e. It does. It just drives me nuts. Um, we need to learn how to use your uh, your your inner voice there, Lewis. No, 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 no. <laughs> there is no inner voice. This is like I, I I am exactly who I am. Um, you can drop us an email at greenrush at KCSA. We're always looking for your feedback, for guest ideas, for for pretty much anything. Hate mail. Bring it on. Fuck Donald Trump. Um, and by the way, fuck Joe Biden. Um, don't forget to subscribe <sighs> to The Green Rush in your favorite podcatcher. Um, give us a rating and review. It helps others to find us. Um, and as always, I want to personally thank you for giving us your time for listening. You know, the only thing that you have that is truly finite is the time in your life. And by spending it with us, you're not spending it elsewhere. And we really appreciate it. That's one take, Shay. One motherfucking take.